you've never seen before. You feel it. Something evil. You run, but there's no escape. Nowhere to turn. You feel something beckoning you. Draw you into the terror that awaits you in the dark room. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. Hey guys, it's Terry here. And I hope you guys enjoyed our discussion about Amazing Stories, uh, episode The Mission. We had a lot of fun with that. Uh, and so we're going to continue on with another um, detour here of another early 80s anthology series that um, that doesn't quite have the budget or, dare I say, the writing that we just saw in Amazing Stories. Yeah, without giving up too much, I think there's a, there's going to be a little bit of a downgrade in conversation <laughs> here as far as like how we feel about the episode. Not our, not, we always try to give you the best product as far as like, um, you, you know, content and, uh, you know, where we fall on it. I think this is going to be the, the lacking of the two <laughs> in comparison. I think, I think we'll have a good talk. It's just that, you know, so the, so much like when we talked about amazing stories last week, that was a series that ran on, you know, in the eighties and like, you know, the, the sorry, a, sorry, NBC in like the mid eighties, we talked about Steven Spielberg, it's influence, all that stuff. Uh, when we were looking up that series to see if the episodes are still available on season one on NBC.com, I found another series that I had been wanting to watch for a bit called dark room that no one remembers uh, probably for good reason that existed on ABC in like 80. What was it? See here uh, from eight, November of 81 to January of 82. So it only had seven episodes. So clearly it didn't, it didn't do so hot, but you know, it was at that time, you know, again, try another anthology series, this one um, a little different. And I, the thing I remembered the most about it was that um, that intro, that you heard like that's a very spooky intro that we had with uh with uh, mr was it uh james coburn doing the voiceover right so as a little kid you, you never know what it is that that will stick in your head and terrify you something about that music and the zooming camera and then the very end ending like a dark like that red light by the room somehow like this was whenever this episode came out um this this episode was uh, december 18th 81 I was three years old and something about it must have just melted my brain because it terrified the shit out of me. And I can't explain why now. Yeah. I, I, I don't know anything about this, uh, prior to our t uh, conversation about nightmares. Um, because night, the, the stories in nightmares were initially supposed to be meant for this series. And they were, they were deemed a little bit too much like 
risky to put onto television. So they put it into that anthology movie. So other than that, I really don't know anything about this series at all. Well, and that's fair because it came up, you know, uh, before you're you know, around on this earth and clearly it doesn't really have like a big fan following, but for whatever reason, just that intro, just much like growing up the syndicated Tales from the Dark Side series, which I mean, you know, not as opposed to, you know, the non-syndicated one, whatever, uh, that intro music and dialogue would bother my younger brother and I'd have to change the channel until the intro is done and then change it back so we could watch the episode. So I get that there's these things that kind of, kind of get what, you know, get you right. Something about this bothered me and it just, it never, I've never shook it. And only until recently did I realize what the name of the show was. And then when we were finding amazing stories, I was like, Holy shit, dark rooms right here too. Uh, and so all seven episodes are available on NBC.com as well. Uh, so I figured, yeah, why not? Before we uh, get back to our main mission, um, you know, which is uh, the Twilight Zone, which we'll talk more about that in the episode here. Um, I was like, well, why the hell not? Why not do one episode of Dark Room? So we're, we're doing an episode of Dark Room. Uh, it, like, it's free to watch. Hopefully you guys watched it. Um, if you did, uh, you know, good for you. It's a little weird. Not the greatest episode. There are going to be some moments that we're going to talk about that uh, I was not expecting in this episode, like watching this, and I mean that in the best possible way. Uh, and I can't wait to talk to Terry about it. So what we're going to do now, cause there's two, there's two stories here. One's called a quiet funeral. And the other one's called makeup. Normally we do cast and crew and then get into it. Uh, we're going to do, we're going to do it per segment. So that way we're not like trying to talk over what segments, what I just figured to make it easier and cleaner that way. So, so yeah, uh, Terry, just here, jump. What do we have here for a quiet funeral? Who do we have? Okay, so um, for our director here, we have Curtis Hamilton. Harrison, I'm sorry. Harrington, yeah, I think I have his Harrington. Um, So the only credits that I really recognize for him was uh, he did an episode of The Twilight Zone of the 1987 uh, installment and then six episodes of Dynasty. I have him doing a TV film from 78 called Devil Dog, The Hound of Hell that I must watch now. I've heard of this one. Um, <laughs> You've heard of that one, but not Dark Room. That's amazing. I love it. Well, you know, going to Wasteland, uh, uh, RIP for 2020 Wasteland, um, w- there, you get in these weird conversations with people, and you're like, I have never heard of that. And they're like, let me tell you everything about it. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. Like, I, I can, I guess I, can, I have time. <laughs> All I have is like, where's my hands up? Yeah, it's like, oh, I do, I do have 45 minutes to hear about a made-for-TV movie from the 70s called Devil Dog. Thank you. Please tell me more. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, that's the only credits I have for him. Uh, as far as writing here, so <laughs> I, need, I, need to, I, I need to address this. There are four writers for this segment that is probably about nine to ten minutes long. And I tried to time it. There's an intro to this show. You do the NBC like watch and then you do like the whole like timeline on the bottom of the screen. This is like a, a nine or 10 minute story. Yeah. Why are four people working on this? So, I mean, I, I don't know. Um, I know that this was based upon a short story by Robert Block. So I don't know if he, if he gets the credit for that, which Robert Block, we should all know as the guy who wrote a uh, psycho and a number of different things. Um, but the other guys, I don't know, like, did they each get like a minute a piece where it's like, no, 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 anything involving a car, you write anything involving stupid dialogue in Vegas, you write anything involving a newspaper stand, you write, you know, like, 
Hey, we need someone that is to, needs to punch up some funeral talk. Oh, we'll bring we'll bring in uh, Simon Munter. Okay, cool. This sounds like the shit that you deal with when you go to the hospital for something, and then like a dude opens a door and he's like, "Yeah, I think it might be uh, arthritis," and then he closes the door and another doctor walks in, and then you get the insurance bill from five different doctors later because somebody <laughs> just opened the door. That's what I. That's what it seems to be for me. Like somebody needed a paycheck, and they're like, "Dude, let's just put him on there." <laughs> like I don't know. That's funny. Like it's aggravating. That's, that's a, that, you know, maybe that's what caused the show to go away is that they went over budget by just supplying paychecks to writers that weren't around. We don't know. Um, <laughs> I like this theory. Uh, so yeah, we have Brian Clemens, uh, who wrote a lot of British TV, did some of the original Avengers, uh, Peter, Peter Allen Fields, uh, who just passed away last year, 10 episodes of D space nine. And then Simon Munter, I just want to mention he wrote a lot of TV, but also one episode of the RoboCop TV series. And that's what I got for the four guys. Okay, yeah, that's I. I hate to say it, but I didn't even dive into it because I wasn't even sure who to give the actual time to. That's uh, fair. Like we really had to give time. Like we owed them a paycheck or something like that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. But, so uh, yeah, go ahead, please. So uh, yeah, our host was that um, James Col- Colburn. Um, I, I'm gonna have to mention him now. We'll just get it out of the way. Um, he did. Uh, he, well, we will be discussing him when we finally get back to uh, season five of Twilight Zone. He's in an episode of that. He was in Magnificent Seven, mm-hmm. The Great Escape. And then he was in the uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger film uh, uh, Eraser. Yeah, that's right. Um, he was also in a, a really fun um, uh, Sergio Leone a Western called uh, Duck You Sucker or Once Upon a Time in Revolution. He played in... Uh, a guy that was over um, in like Mexico. Uh, he was just, he was part of the, um, the Irish Republican army. So he knew how to like make dynamite and throw it. And he would just be smiling and blowing up stuff. And it was a lot of fun to see him on this motorcycle, just destroying shit and laughing. Um, yeah. I like James Coburn. Um, I, we see him here as the host, right? And the guy did the intro, like the talking we heard here, and they're going to hear him twice here. Cause I, I wanted to play both of them and uh, for each segment because they're just so weird. Um, so yeah, I like, I like him. I think he has a presence. I think he has a great voice for this. Uh, I, I don't understand his character. Is he just like, like, you know, James Coburn as the developer or whatever. What, what is he? Like he's in a, he's in a literal dark room. But the entrance of the show is you're compelled to find this one thing in your house. It's called the dark room. It's like, yes, because you got vacation photos that you need to develop right now. James Coburn can help you. Like, I don't understand how that goes from fear to like chemical lab. I don't understand that at all. And uh, thank God that he was able to have the budget to do a really good dark room because there is no furniture in that house. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, they had to sell it to pay for all the script writers. Um, yeah, you're right. That's that, you know, I, but I also like the idea. It's just like, uh, you know, he, they didn't even really do like, they tried doing some of the, like the props, like, or not props, but like items he'd kind of talk about a little bit to lean into the episodes. And it's like, I get where they're going with it. It's just that maybe if this, if this was stuck around, maybe this part would have gotten more interesting, but it just looks like a guy that's just like, Oh, hi friend. Thanks for wandering in. You know, you like, he gives you camera tips and then he gives you a makeup lesson. We'll, we'll hear those later. Yeah. It's like an open house and they found the one room 
there's something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, Gee, I wonder what I could do with this space. And I'm like, oh, h- hello. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So who do we have here? Who, who's our large cast uh, in A Perfect or Quiet Funeral? Okay. Well, since you considered this a, a, a shorter cast, it really kind of is. Um, there is like a few people that we see, but they don't play a major role in it. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go right for the the meat of this. Okay. Um, so we got uh, Ro- Robert Lyons. Uh, he plays Marty Vetch. Yeah, Vetch. Vetch. Um, again, I'm sorry, people. If you, if you're finally tuning into the episodes and that, I am terrible at reading. So I bear with me. Um, I, I have heart in this. Um, I, I like that this is the episode. Everyone's like, ah, oh, Twilight Zone. I don't know about Dark Room. Hell yeah, this this is going to be my make or break it episode. They better not mispronounce any names, or I'm out. So our our connection to Rod Serling is he was in one episode of Night Gallery. So nice. kudos to that guy. Um, uh, he was also in Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, which is a very interesting um, made for TV horror film. That I, if you have not checked it out, it is really, really good. Check it out. Um, and then Death Wish 2, which apparently <laughs> it only gets crazier after this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he, he was in Death Wish 2. He was in uh, 10 to Midnight, another uh, Bronson film. He was uh, he actually worked with Bronson a fair amount. So I just want to mention that. So like, yeah, I, I, I would think he looked, looked familiar to me, but I couldn't place him. But I've seen both Death Wish 2 and uh, 10 to Midnight. So and then uh, next we have Eugene Roach. Um, he plays Charlie. Uh, he was in a, a film adaptation of Slaughterhouse Five, which I have to mention because our book club recently covered the uh, the novel. Um, and then also fifty episodes of Webster. That's right. That that's, that's why I recognize his face. I didn't place that. Okay. He's a very recognizable character actor, and I I just I was like, oh, this is our main character, and like he really wasn't. So um, outside of that, I guess I would have to mention um, Misty Rowe. Uh, she plays Linda or Le- Linda. Lita. Yeah, I think it's Lita. Lita, whatever. Um, she was in some episodes of Happy Days. And then she was in uh, basically it was like a, a, a biopic about uh, Marilyn Monroe. She plays Norma Jean in Goodbye, Norma Jean. I didn't have much for her. I, um, yeah. Uh, but so the other person I want to mention too, um, actually two more, just because that's great. The one, uh, the one is, um, what's his name? John, uh, Medici. He was a sales clerk. The one that did the newspaper stuff. Uh, if you look up his, his profile, it has like, you know, how normally IMDB will have like four images of like things they're like known for. And it says known for dark room. I'm like, well, then you're not known, unfortunately. And then he was also one episode <laughs> of phrase nightmares. Um, Carmine, uh, Car- Caridi, uh, Caridi was Nick Castellano, the guy that ran the funeral home. Uh, I just, it, it wouldn't be an episode of strange highways if I don't find something just really weird about somebody's history. Right. So this is going to be the most interesting part of this segment. And we're not, and this isn't even the story. This should be the episode. Um, he just passed away in 2018, but he was named as a person of interest by the FBI looking into illegal copies of recently released films appearing on the internet. Various studios trace the internet copies of these films to uh, to him, a member of the Academy who was supposed to use them for Oscar screening purposes. 
Russell William Sprigg was subsequently arrested at his house in Homewood, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago, where agents discovered hundreds of Academy screeners, many of them uh, um, Carmines, uh, for recent and current movies and, and um, in search of his residence. So they found a bunch of this stuff at somebody's house that were his, that were given him as screeners by the Academy. Uh, he denied receiving any money for the screeners, uh, claimed that he had thought Sprague was just a film buff and had no knowledge that Sprague had uh, duplicated these tapes. That's super interesting. Like, I kind of wish that he would have been uh, our friend years mm-hmm. ago because I was always looking for more uh, avenues to find uh, film and that so that would have been really interesting if we could add a connection there well i just like uh, that uh the one character charlie provo is like known as like a master um like uh he can he can make anything right he is um a counterfeiter but the guy that actually plays the guy at the funeral home is the one that's pretty much a counterfeiter you know so anyway that, i just thought that was great that i just found this story about how he was a cop of this big thing because he was part of this videotaping scheme yeah, that's interesting. Uh, the only credits I have for him briefly, um, he was in Godfather 2 II and 3. And um, he was in an episode of Tales from the Dark Side, which oh, we okay. will be making visits to back uh, like at some point um, when we do this podcast. So hopefully, because I, I do like some Tales from the Dark Side, especially the movie. Uh, wink, wink. Yeah. Um, and I do, you know, and, and you were talking about um, the sales clerk in this episode. Freddy's Nightmares, I feel like we want to dive into that at some point, too. I've never watched it, but the fact that it had the notoriety to have Freddy Krueger's name on it, I think there might be something there. Yeah, I have no problem getting into that. I mean, the bar has been raised pretty high by this, by Darkroom. So, you know, people, there's a lot that has to happen for us to judge these fairly now. No, anyway, yeah, we'll get into that stuff, but yeah, that's all we got for, for, uh, for cash crew, 7,000 writers for this portion. That's nine minutes long. Also real quick. This is the music for this whole episode is done by Craig Safin. Um, uh, need to mention because he also did, um, the score for nightmares, uh, and nightmare on Elm street part four. We just mentioned that. And the last Starfighter, which the last Starfighter score is amazing. Uh, his score here, not so much, but, uh, that's another tie to nightmares. Uh, and we'll, there's another tie to nightmares too. When we get to the second story. So let's uh, let the developer tell us about camera equipment. And then we'll talk about a quiet funeral. A whole roll of film wasted because this delicate instrument here, and it's like crack in its casing light got in. Now the inside of a camera must be light proof as dark as the inside of a tomb. Strangely enough, brings us to our next story. Marty Vetch is a, a small-time hood with big ideas. The kind of guy who loves the nightlife, booze, women, hates to be alone. Life's always got to be in high gear for Marty, with enough excitement and people around him to prove he's alive. Because underneath it all, he's a man driven by fear. Especially the fear of that last black oblivion where man must go all by himself. The photomat. 
outside the Kmart in 1981. No, um, so yeah, I that that intro gives the the story like a, like a lot more supposedly going on than it really is. Uh, just to put it mildly, Terry Terry's correct. This thing's like nine minutes. It feels like if you bought a uh, Tales from the Crypt comic, this would be like a three panel story that gets you onto the ad selling you extra specs before you got to like the main reason you bought the book. Yeah, I I'm you know like. The most fascinating part about this segment is the intro. Uh, I got to give it up to uh, the casting of James Coburg, Coburn as uh, their host. Like, I love his voice and like the way he kind of intros these episodes, like uh, face value. You, you actually see him in the darkroom. I actually find that very fascinating uh, and uh, captivating. Like, I kind of wish that we would have something like that a little bit more often. Yeah, I agree with, uh, with anthology series and that, but anthology is kind of like a hit or miss. Like we talked about on our previous episode, but, um, yeah, so here we get into our, our story finally. And, um, it, we get to a beat up house. It, it looks like it's like run down, it's boarded up and there's some shady deal that's going on, um, uh, between, um, Charlie and some dude who has the money and there is a transaction. Um, he is able to counterfeit really, really well, Charlie that is. And you know, he gets paid $50,000 for it. Well, the $50,000, he's like, straight up. Do you want to count it? Whatever. He's like, dude, I'm, I'm good at this. I don't need to count it. I you know whatever. He's the man. Yeah, he basically, I mean, he, he said, I used to do this stuff illegally, but then when I found out I could do it legally, basically like, you know, um, ba- basically like forging illegal documents and things. So that was the whole thing is like, he's like, I'm not going to count this money. He's like, I, you know, basically, basically like, I know, I know what this good, like how good I can do it. And I know what's real. So out the door in his car, um, within seconds, uh, he's like driving down this, like, you know, like dirt road and he goes to try, it's like thundering and everything. He tries to hit his brakes, brakes are out because there's a van across the roadway and he pull, he, his car goes off the side of the road. Right. And I, for a second was like, Oh, this takes us back to campfire tales. We're not actually going to see the car until later or at all because of the budget. Nope. They show the car pretty much after and credit to the show. The car looks beat up and Charlie's in it screaming. So, and it's actually not a bad shot of them kind of just tracking around the car with him in it. So I'll give, I'll give the episode that. Well, I think that the, the part that's really interesting about him careening off the road is when he does go off the side, we see some dude on the other side of the van walk out of the darkness and look down the, in uh, the embankment to see where uh, Charlie is sitting right now. So he goes down to survey what what's what Charlie's dealing with right now. So the the idea already is that whoever this dude is that was with the van, which would inevitably is um oh, I'm sorry, uh, who is this? It's it's Vetch that comes down the hill right to talk Mar- to Charlie. Yeah, yeah, it's it's Marty. So he comes down and he's like, hey. What seems to be the problem, (laughs) like basically being nonchalant about it at first. And he has a crowbar with him. He's like, oh, you know, help, help, blah, blah, blah. And like, yeah, in in due time, I got something to take care of first. So he goes to the trunk and he opens up the trunk 
and he gets the briefcase out of the money. So he already knows what the hell just transpired in that beat up house. And Charlie tells him, it's like, it's not what you, it's not what you think. They, there was actually a deal that what Charlie and Marty had in the past, um, Marty got screwed out of, like he got, he got the shakedown and, um, you know, Charlie moved on from their, their relationship. And here's Marty like coming back being like, look, asshole, I'm coming back for my money. You owe me. So he takes the money and he actually pushes the car off the rest of the cliff. Not, not push. Describe the action that he takes to get this car moving. Well, all right. So he goes to the, the ass end of the car and kind of rocks it. He just he steps on the foot. bumper a little bit. And like, I don't know if that much movement would cause what was about to happen, but that car just took off like a rocket after he like bumped it up and down like three times. I, I was expecting like a Michael Bay explosion at this point. <laughs> it's a little yeah. anticlimactic, but I was like, where, where are we going to expect something here? And like nothing happened. I was like, Oh, because the budget looks like it's not that great. So, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's your first commercial break. If I remember right. So that picks up with, uh, with, with, uh, um, him in Vegas. Right. And like, and, and of course it's Vegas. It's, you know, you just see it in the distance, but they're in a, ho- he's in a hotel room with his, uh, with his lady, uh, uh Lita. And, you know, she's kind of cooped up. She's pissed off at him because like, she's just staying in the room and he, and she's like, give me one reason to stay. Cause I want to leave. He's like, I'll give you 50,000 reasons or whatever. Uh, you know, amazingly great dialogue there, um, that you may hear later. Um, and so she sees this money and it's like, well, where did you get this from? He's like, ah, an old friend of mine owed it to me. And it's like, and he had an accident. It's like, dude, just shut up. Just stop talking. Just tell her that someone owed you money and don't ask questions. You know, I think she, she's already made poor choices already. I don't think you need to give her more poor choices, you know, just throwing it out there. Yeah. He seems like a real winner. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just to pull it, put it bluntly. Yeah. Like he. He's just a guy who's out for his own and he wants a piece of ass to tail, uh, you know, tail onto. And that's Lita or Lita or whatever. Yeah. Um, tries to convince her, stick around. I'm going to make it worth it. Yeah, she, I just she's gotta, his alibi, supposedly. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, we, we just got to go through the process right now. And um, so the next scene, we see them go to a paper stand that's in Vegas, which... I, you've been to Vegas. I have not. How many paper stands slash like random uh, businesses that you would see on the side of the street have uh, slot machines in them? Is oh, this every, like no, every that, I thought I think you were going to ask me about newspaper stands. I'm like, I don't know about that, but no, no, no. Everything there has a slot machine attached to it. That's not that's not an exaggeration. Um, I. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to, I mean, I, I didn't go to Vegas in 81, you know, I was too busy being scared of the, the intro to the, sh- the show at three years old, but the couple times I've been out there, uh, it is, it is fascinating at where slot machines are. Like, it would not surprise me if like, you know, you went to go drop like a letter to mailbox and you have to like use like the arm to make sure that, you know, you get the opportunity to drop your, like, like a slot machine. Like, do I, can I mail a letter today? I don't know. But, uh, when I was out getting married, um, I didn't have cash on hand to rent my tuxedo cause I figured I'd rent it while I was out there versus, you know, like dragging it across country. 
Um, and the, 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 the gentleman that, um, was helping me, he's like, okay, fine. We'll stop at a gas station. We stopped at a gas station that was like, n- like really completely off the strip. It, it's like every other gas station you've been into, except there was like five slot machines in it. Like it is ridiculous at how many slot machines are all over this place. And it kind of makes sense. I mean, you're in Vegas. They kind of want to get a little bit of your dough wherever the hell you are. Yep. So if you have itch, you're like, oh, ATM. Wait, there's a slot machine. <laughs> no, that, that, you're not wrong. Like when you land at the airport there, you walk off like off your, you know, your flight and you immediately are hitting the face with slot machines. Like it's, um, it, you know, that Las Vegas is fun. Uh, just be prepared for it to be a large money vacuum. And, uh, to say that I felt like my, like it was nipping at my heels every time I turn a corner is, is really not an exaggeration in terms, in terms of how much it's there to pull money out of your hands. Yeah. I I'm slightly sheltered. We live here in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. If you're listening from a different state or a different city, um, until like it became somewhat legal to have any type of gambling machines like that. I didn't see any of these machines. And then all of a sudden, probably about eight or nine years ago, they were all over the place. Like you could go into drug Mart and you probably see one of these machines, like, and <laughs> like a drugstore. It's ridiculous. And like, I just wanted to get your opinion on this situation because I, I was like 81. Maybe you don't know like what was going on back then, but I'm like, it's still Vegas. So that I don't was think still, things have changed. That was still mafia, <laughs> ma- mafia run a lot of Vegas too. So of course there's going to be slot machines all over the place, you know? So, I, but the, the thing I think you're going to ask me about is like, how many places would you go to that would have newspapers that would specifically have one for Michigan? I thought that was going to be your question for me. And that was the part that made me like, that was the first time I laughed in this episode. It was like, he walks in with his girl on his arm and he looks over and you see all these newspapers, which I could get that being Vegas, there's people that be flying in from all over the world to go to this place. Of course, it'd probably behoove a newsstand to actually have pretty like, you know, New York Times, Washington Post, you know, uh, all that stuff. Right. And, you know, L.A. Times, like having all that available. But it's like, hey, sir, what all what all Michigan newspapers you got here? Like, who cares? You know, like, like it just seemed like it was just funny to me that there was literally a section labeled Michigan. He walked over and looked and didn't see the Detroit paper. I, I laughed at that. I thought that was really funny. I was hoping they'd have the Lakewood Chronicle, but I didn't see it on the wall. I don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pardon me. Do, uh, you, do you have Do you have the, the Mountain Statesman from a little town in West Virginia that I happen to frequent? Do you have that one, please? You know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Whatever. Um, I'm I'm just looking for. I just what could you, what all family circus do you have? To, can, to sell me some of the family circus. That's what I'm looking for. No. So he he goes to the guy, uh, uh, the person who's like working the stand. He's like, hey, uh, you know, he, he goes over to talk to him. And the guy's like, oh, the Detroit paper. He's like, I, you know, it just came in. He's like, why did you put it out? He's like, it just came in. Whatever. Pays him, gets his paper. And then he looks in the paper and sees that, um, that, uh, that supposedly Charlie, uh, you know, died of natural causes due to a car crash. The Charlie Pat. Yeah. Um, so he's excited now because it looks like he's in the clear. And then he sees there's an announcement for the funeral. So he's like, well, I have to go. People need to see that I'm there. So some smart thinking on his part. Yeah. And honestly, like to create the alibi and then to continue the, the possibility that he had no involvement with it, it, it makes a hell of a lot of sense because he's buying a newspaper in Vegas, he has 
somebody who can contest to the fact that they've been in Vegas for a period of time. And now he's seeing in this newspaper that it is the cause of death is by accident. And he had nothing to do. With it. It's like, all right, cool. Now I can make an appearance at this funeral and uh, like continue the alibi. Like it's, it is very intelligent thinking on Marty's behalf. Um, and you know, it, it's a guy who really feels like he deserves this $50,000. So he's going to put in the legwork here. But did you so, like, like his weird, like, and then I'll be on easy street or whatever he says. Like, it was like overemphasized. I'm like, Hey, calm, calm down there, man. Just, just, you know, like you're, you're being hired to be menacing, not funny. You can't pull this off. <laughs> yeah. True story. Um, but yeah, so he, he ends up on a flight back to Detroit. Boo. Um, and he goes, <laughs> Oh, all right. That was unsolicited, but have, go for it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, sorry if we have any Detroit listeners, but, uh, if you're going from Vegas back to Detroit, you're going to step down. I did. Well, I mean, I, yes, I've been, I'm, I've come back to Cleveland twice. You're, I would agree with this statement as well. Yes. <laughs> So anyways, uh, and that's fair. Um, so yeah, we get, uh, Marty going back to Vegas or, uh, back to Detroit and he goes to the funeral home that is, uh, owned by Nick and his family. And when he walks in, he's greeted by Nick, but he notices that no one's there at that point. And he's like, Hey, did I, what, what's going on? He's like, Oh, you just missed a man and just went down to dinner. Uh, it was a nice, uh, ceremony and all that stuff. He's like, all right, cool. He's like, um, you know, asking qualifying questions like, oh, how's the family doing? All that stuff. You know, it just kind of seeming to be that sympathetic role. And um, Nick tells him all the, the jive like, oh, they're doing great, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, do you want do you want to see you want to see Charlie? He's like, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to see Charlie. And so they go into the funeral parlor uh, where the casket is. And, uh, of course, Charlie is on display and, uh, Marty's like, where's all the flowers? He's like, oh, they took them already. He's like that, you know, didn't want them having, have them be wilted and all that stuff, which makes sense. I mean, you don't want to have a lot of fresh flowers for the showing and then not being able to take them to the actual funeral and put them on display or you just don't have money in your budget for flowers now and your episode. I think that's a good way to hand wave that away and be like, Oh no, they took them all out. They were beautiful. You should have saw them. We don't have them. Wink, wink. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, Nick says, you know, like all these different things, like, Oh, he was a good guy. And you know, he was under the water. Then don't you see how good the work looks on him? He's like, Oh yeah, it looks real good. Um, he's like, they did a great job. And, uh, and Nick leans over to, uh, kiss Charlie on the forehead. He's like, Oh, you know, sweet dreams, blah, blah, blah. Paying his last little bit of respects. And Marty of course wants to follow suit. So he does the same thing and leans over to kiss Charlie on the forehead. And as he's trying to lean back, all of a sudden, Charlie opens his eyes and grabs Marty by the throat. It's like one newspaper, Charlie, or, or uh, Marty. He's like, that's all it took. I had to do one newspaper and put it in the hands of a guy I already knew in Vegas to get you here. And I was like, yes, right on, man. Like, I like this kind of like 
revenge storyline. Mm-hmm. It's like those little, little cues. Yeah. And so they, like he ends up throwing uh, Marty in the, the coffin, they close it. And then, uh, you know, as, as Nick and Charlie are walking away, Nick's like, or Charlie's like, ah, oh. he's like, he's going to, it's going to be pretty loud for a bit. And then, uh, like, what was it? Like, as one of them said, well, in the morning, he'll, you know, it'll be okay. It'll be a nice, quiet funeral. And that's the end of your story. Um, I just want to point out, uh, Castellano really liked kissing people. So that's something that was happening there. Like, you know, a lot of kissing. I almost kind of wish it had been like, oh no, Charlie's just, you know, wait, you, you know, pay respects, kiss him on the lips. Like I would have been, that would have been amazing if you would have had Charlie's eyes open <laughs> and pop open right then. That would have been amazing. Um, I, I like this from a pulpy revenge way. Like you said, yes, I, I do kind of question the logistics of how would they know that he would go to that newspaper stand? How would it, it's like, there's a lot of that also. It's like you counterfeited an entire paper like that has everything else except for the one, like, you know, sure. You know, but it's like, how did you get that out there in time? Like, there's a lot of that that I don't like, it just doesn't make sense to me. But in terms of like a simple, like, like I said, a three page story and like a comic book, you know, it, you're in, you're out. It's a, you know, it's, it's a, it's a fun little button of an ending. And then that's your story for a quiet funeral. Yeah. And especially for a uh, budget, uh, I think that it, it was, it was cool enough. You, you want to suspend disbelief for a moment and being like, all right, you got the sucker. It's like, cool, whatever. But I, I would have loved to have seen this in like a tales from the crypt setting. Yes. I think they could have done a hell of a lot better with this and made it a lot more dark. Um, that's me though. Like, I love tales. Like from the crypt, Lita, so. Lita takes her wig off and it was Nick Castellano the entire time. I'm like, Oh no. You know, like it would have been great to find out like how much had been counterfeited around him just to get him to come back. It would have been great. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, like I said, this was fun. It was fun enough. Um, I just like, like much like yourself, like I was like, Oh, it's over. Like, I was like, wow, like that's something. And I'm like, Oh, so the next story is going to be like the 40 minute one. I didn't, I didn't realize the show was going to be set up like this. I think whenever they usually have two stories to tell in most like hour longs, they would kind of get equal time. So I was, I was taken aback by that, but yeah, that's a, that is a quiet funeral. And then, um, yeah, let's move on to, um, makeup. Um, we'll talk about the, the, the cast here actually. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about cast and I'll play, um, James Coburn's, um, his history of makeup. And he says, he says some weird things there. We'll talk about when we hear it. So, uh, yeah, Terry, who do we have? Uh, who, who's running this portion of the show? All right, so our uh, writer on this, because we have the same director as the last uh, episode or story mm-hmm. here, so we don't, we don't, need, we can just go past that. Uh, the writers we have here are uh, a teleplay is done by Jeffrey Bloom. Um, he did one of the stories in the Nightmares movie that we covered. Um, the the what was it? The Rat at Night or whatever. Yeah, the night of the Rat. Rat in the yeah. night. Night of the Rat. Yeah, there we go. So he he did that story. And then that's the only credit I really recognized of his. And then, uh, if you, unless you had something for him, nope, that's, that's all I got. So if we had found anything else, people go back, listen to our episode about nightmares. Cause we probably would have said something then that was probably more articulate and smart. I suppose right now. Yeah. So, uh, story was done by, uh, Robert McCammon. Um, he did, an episode of the twilight zone in 1985. And that's the only credit I knew of his. Yep. That's about all I got as well. All right. So onto our cast, um, uh, Cian Barbara, 
Um, she, uh, Barbara Allen. Uh, I'm sorry. No, you're uh, right. She, yeah, I think it's CN. I, that's a, a lot of interesting names for us to try to talk about tonight. Yeah. Um, so she plays Brenda in this episode. Um, uh, the only thing I knew from her was that she was in the incredible Hulk for an episode and that's it. That's a, that's a fun tie into this episode then as we'll talk about what happens later. Um, yeah, I saw that she had like 36 credits was nominated for a golden globe in 73. So she was an established person. I didn't recognize her from anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I, I hate to be that guy, but yeah, it's that that's how it goes sometimes for things we cover. Um, so, uh, Elvia, uh, Alman, Alman, uh, she plays Mandrix. Uh, manageress. I think she was the person that was in charge of the elder care home that we see her for a second. Yeah. It, we see her for literally like a moment. Uh, she was in breakfast at Tiffany's, uh, an episode of the, uh, Adams family and the Munsters. And that's all I had her for. Nice. I had the Munsters. I didn't have the rest of that. That's cool. And then, uh, uh on to our bigger credits here. Uh, Billy Crystal. In one of his earlier roles, this is probably his fourth or fifth credit, um, he plays Patty in this episode. Uh, he was in Princess Bride, City Slickers. Uh, he plays a, a voice in Monsters, Inc., the, that series, uh, Mike Wazowski. Um, and then he did a voice in Howl's Moving Castle, which ties into your other podcast because you guys covered uh, Miyazaki. Yeah, um, we did. I love Howl's Moving Castle. So. That was a fun movie. And while watching it with my wife, she's like, she's like, who is that? I was like, I was like, that sounds like Billy Crystal. And she like, didn't want to believe me. And I'm like, I think that's Billy Crystal. And then he's, he is really, he's like the, the MVP of that movie. He's a lot of fun. Um, so just to point out, I mean, aside from the fact that like, you know, I love Billy, Billy Crystal. I think he's a delight. Um, he, but right before this though, he was in a TV show called soap that ran for 75 episodes on ABC in prime time. It was it was kind of it would take the piss out of like daytime soap operas and have like a lot of plot twists and deceptions and, you know, people like sleeping together. And it was all like done with like tongue firmly in cheek. He played a character named Jody Dallas that was one of the first openly gay characters on primetime television. And because of this, um, the show just drew heat like no other. And there was so much controversy about it. Uh, but the, the ABC and the showrunners didn't back down from it. So Billy Crystal actually was like, you know, obviously he's much more known today for much other things, but he really, you know, he hit big with soap and was one of the, the like um, one of the breakout characters on that. So um, yeah, we're catching him at a weird time where he had just come off like a really successful TV run and he's just doing additional things. And I'm glad that he hit his stride after this. Cause um, I mean, he's a, he's an amazing talent and very, very intelligent dude and very hilarious. Like I love throw mama from the train. So yeah, he's, he's amazing. Uh, if you don't know who he is, uh, check yourself because Billy Crystal is a huge star. Yeah. So uh, maybe this isn't his best work, but <laughs> that's fine. We'll talk about that too. When we get through this episode. So, uh, next we have, uh, Brian Dennehy. Um, he plays Roland in this episode. Um, I think that most people would know him from Tommy Boy, but what I knew him from initially was uh, First Blood. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's such he's such a um, he's just such a hard a ass. Dick and- yeah, he's he's so good. <laughs> he's so good in First Blood. 
Um, yeah. Uh, and this is around this time and you can just, the guy, he just looks like, he just looks like a slab, you know, like a square and he just has, he has like a little bit of charisma, but it's like, it's just kind of one of those guys where you just want to laugh along with him because you don't know if he's going to punch you straight in the face. You know, you're like, yeah, that's really funny. That's really, can I leave now? Cause you're being real nice to me, but I don't know if I'm about to get hit. That's the vibe you always kind of get from him. Oh, he was, he was a big dude too. He was like six, two. And like, he just like was a squared guy. Like I, I think he would just be a badass no matter what the uh, situation is. He's in a movie called Gladiator as well, and it's a boxing film. He's a bad dude in that movie. Like he is a bare knuckle, um, like old school fighter. Hmm. Uh, if you get a chance, it might it might not age well, but he's a badass in that movie, nice. and he takes straight hits, bare knuckle to the forehead, and still is boxing. Like he's he's a bad dude. So I like uh, Brian Dennehy. I actually think he's true to form in this episode as well. Oh, he's he's so. so much fun in this. Yeah. And also I want to point out, um, uh, 96's Romeo and Juliet. He was one of the, um, the fathers. I forget if he was the Montague or the Capulet, but I remember he was like one of the head family members. So it's like, you know, dude was in Shakespeare too, you know, like you gotta, I, I know we just lost him and that's a bummer, but Brian Dennehy's awesome. And I'm glad that we got to see him in this. Yeah, seriously. Um, and then, uh, all right, so the the next name here, uh, Cien, uh, Sigen, I, I don't know, Hazo. Yeah, I, I think it's a uh, Signe uh, Haze, ha, whatever. It's I'm sorry, it's it's another hard name. It's the older lady. Uh, she plays Mrs. Lamont Tremaine. Um, she doesn't even get her own first name, by the way. That's terrible for this. I just wanted to point out that she started working in 1933, which I know that that seems like you know, well, duh, this was shot in the 80s, but it's like you still you know, we're coming up on, clo- you know, getting closer to that being a hundred years ago. That just will always blow my mind. Yeah. Here we are. 2020. We're, uh, we're doing a podcast, including episodes, uh, with actors that were in the silent era. Like we, yeah. we covered this in uh, the fourth season of, um, Twilight Zone too. Like I'm, we're like, we're all over the place. Like we're never going to discourage any actor. Like she doesn't, no, like we don't know any. All right, let me take that back for a second. I don't know any of the credits that she had, but she was an accomplished actress. Yeah, I, all I had for her that I of note for for our discussion is one episode, of The Outer Limits. But yeah, this you know you just got to respect, uh, especially since part of this episode hinges upon like an actor that you know had his heyday in the '30s. You know, you just got to kind of got to recognize that. Yeah. So uh, next we have Jack Krishnan. Krishnan? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go with that. Good enough. Um, uh, he plays Sam. Uh, he was in the original Cape Fear and uh, War of the Worlds. Yeah, I had him uh, here for two episodes of Batman 66 and then a film from 77 called Satan's Cheerleaders that I need to watch now. Uh, but yeah, that's all I got for him. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. Um, so uh, next we have uh, Robert O'Reilly, um, he plays Sebastian. Um, he played some kind of role in The Mask with Jim Carrey, and then uh, he was in multiple episodes of um, uh, Star Trek, including uh, a, a short stint on Deep Space Nine. Yeah, this is interesting because he actually had uh, eight episodes in Deep Space Nine, four episodes of the uh, Next Generation as the same character. So that's 
you know, if you if you do twelve episodes of Star Trek as the same character, that must mean that you're of important, of, like important enough to be brought back specifically to play this role. So that's cool. I also had here he was in one episode of NBC's Manimal that also didn't last very long. Um, it was about a guy that could change into different animals, but because of budget, it was usually a snake, a bird, or a cat. But yeah. <laughs> That's got to it's so, got to mention these amazing things when you know that shows tried back in the eighties. So you're saying that's what we're covering on our new podcast? Yeah, we're going to cover the entirety of Manimal. That's what we're going to do. Yeah, <laughs> and we'll call we'll call it Minimals. That's what we'll call our, our podcast. Yeah, sounds good to me, man. Uh, what do you you want to cover it all this weekend? Sure, so. sure. We'll, yeah, we'll just do that. I'm sure it's on NBC.com. I'll go look it up now. We'll go see if Manimals available. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you have anybody else? No, that's it for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I had, uh, what was it? Uh, oh yeah. It's uh, Jody Mann plays the clerk. Um, I, I, I forget where they were in this. Um, but they were in 1980s new year's evil. I just want to shout that out because that movie's terrible. And I had, I watched it like two years ago or like, yeah, about a year or so ago. Um, yeah, not a good, not a good early canon film, but yeah, that's all. That's all I got here in terms of, uh, yeah, looks like that's it. So let um let our host uh give us a history of makeup and kind of a weird uh sexist comment and then we'll talk about uh makeup. What's a makeup case? You know, powders, creams, lotions, colors. In a benign way, it's the stuff of which deception is made and Makeup has been around for a long time. Cleopatra used it. Queen Elizabeth used it. And I'm told, even old George Washington. Well, the other night while I was waiting, I watched a friend of mine make herself up. Unbelievable. A little dab here, a little streak there. The next thing I knew, she looked like an entirely different woman. Now, personally, I like the natural look. You know, what you see is what you get. But then, I guess there's nothing wrong with a little illusion in reality. Hmm? I just where I don't know where he was going with all that, but that that's that, that's our intro. I, I'm sure he had nothing to do with the writing. <laughs> I think he improv some of that. He had to have. Where he's like, I don't know. Like I prefer, like I prefer my woman a little more natural. It's like, okay, okay, Mr. Coburn. You know, I, I understand that we only have so much film to get, like so many takes. I guess we're running with this one. Well, you probably had a bunch of chicks come up to him completely in natural form, like <laughs> later at the bar. And he's like, no, I, that's just a character I play. Yeah. I, <laughs> I'm sorry. You're not a magnificent seven, let alone a four. I must be going now, you know? All right. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. This one, I mean, it's a longer story. Uh, it's just, <laughs> I, it's play. There's a lot of like, there's a lot of supposed to be like comedy bits in here too. Um, I don't know. Like, where do you like? I mean, obviously, we're going to start at the beginning, but uh, this is where we, we first see Billy Crystal's character, Patty. He has a very visible limp, and he goes into Roland's um, bar and told him, you know, hey, I made the delivery. Um, you know, the, a, a dog attacked me. Look at my leg, but I want my hundred bucks. And then Roland's like, you went to the wrong address. Patty's like, I didn't. And he's like, he says the address out loud, and Roland corrects him, and then. What's what's the name of the blondie ugly thug to the left? I forget that guy's name, but that he's like, yeah, he's like, oh, you know, he's like, oh, I guess I gave him the wrong address, 
And so they, they stiff Patty of this hundred dollars, which I just want to point out. It's like, I understand hundred dollars in 1981 was a significant amount of money, like more so than now. But this story goes some wild places that really revolves around a hundred dollars. Yeah. I, this dude has got to be like really bad off because he looks like he just stole these clothes off of a bum. And um, like the place he is living in is terrible. It, it looks like it's like a, it looks like a hotel, like pay by the week hotel. And I, 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 I don't know. Like I'm giving the benefit of a doubt because I've never stayed in these kind of conditions before. And I've never had to struggle like this. Maybe, maybe he's just that guy who needs a hundred dollars really badly. And it makes sense. And $8,100. Uh, yeah. It, I guess it makes sense. Uh, it, well, yeah, I mean, we, yeah. So, so we find out he's basically living in like a slum uh, because he used to work at um, an auto plant nearby, but it got shut down. So he used to make a lot of money. And now he doesn't. And so he's just trying to work these odd jobs just to keep, you know, to keep going forward because he owes rent. Right. Um, and then, um, but Patty's not a bad guy. He just doesn't seem like, he just seems like he doesn't, I don't know. Like you, you never really get a, You never really get a, a strong peg on him other than, it never occurs to him to do anything other than what's in front of him. And I know the dude's down on his luck and he, he's also getting, he's getting in connections where he probably shouldn't get connections with like this, the dude, um, Brian Dennehy's character, um, Roland seems like he's kind of like linked to, the mob or something like that. Like, I think that's what they're alluding to. So at this point, whatever this hundred dollar job is, it's nothing to roll on. He's, I think they're kind of playing with, uh, Patty and just playing like for fun. It doesn't make any difference what the situation is. Yeah. Because sure. even like the, the, the dialogue between, uh, Sebastian and Roland's like, what was the address? Oh, oh, I guess I screwed up. Blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, it doesn't make a difference what it is. Like, Patty's a piece of shit to them and they can play whatever game they want with them. So it's like, it's a, it's all in fun and game for them. Oh, of course. And, uh, there was never, they were, he was never going to get paid. You know, like that you just, you get that notion the way Roland's like treating him. And he's like, you know, he's like, better luck next time. If I, if you would have wanted a handout is like, I was trying to give you a job, but not, and I didn't realize it was supposed to be a handout. And then he's like, tell, you know, tell the bartender to buy him whatever drink he wants. And I'd have been like, whatever drink I'd be like, give me a drink. That's a hundred dollars. You know, like I would have, you know, fishbowl. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just, <laughs> um, but yeah, they just kind of toss him out. And then, um, this is when we learn more about him where he, you know, he goes to this diner, talks to Brenda, which you kind of get the idea they're a couple, but she kind of, she gives him a meal on the sly and he's like, aren't you going to get in trouble? And she's like, what's going to happen? I'm going to get fired. It's my last day. I'm, you know, I'm moving to Miami. And so you find out at that point she's going cause her father is um, in bad health. She's going to go help him. Patty can't come along yet, but she's like, you just, things will change. Come down. So that gives him at least like the opportunity to change his life. Um, it just, he doesn't seem to believe that he can do that, you know? And, um, I don't know, like the, it feels like the hundred dollars probably would have been enough for a bus ticket to get down there. That, I'm just throwing that out there. That seemed, that seems appropriate at that time. 
Yeah, and I, I, I've seen plenty of storylines like this where, like, even a little bit can get you at least gas money to catch a ride with somebody here and there, or like you said, bus mm-hmm. ticket, uh, a train ticket, whatever. Like, it's more than nothing. And he is he's done like he 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 can't get things figured out where he's at right now and it's like he has ambition and he apparently cares about brenda so it's like well may as well try so if it is like a couple odd end jobs for this scumbag rolling why not yeah i get that you know but it's just like if he's trying to make rent but you get the hundred bucks then why aren't you on like a bus that night because you know, we we he, we haven't seen his apartment yet, but we're just gonna. It, it's it's bad. It is, um, you know, it's basically if someone's like, hey, what if like what if I give you five dollars to decorate an apartment? Like it, that's how it's just disgusting looking. And we'll talk about how he eats crackers and peanuts, uh, peanut butter in a second when we get there. But he uh, then goes to try to sell a watch uh, to the pawn shop, and um, the the gentleman there is like, hey, you know, I sold you this watch, and he's like, yeah. Um, and that's when we find out about Patty's like job history. And eventually the, the, the pawn shop guys like, listen, I can give you 20 bucks, but th- I've been hurting too. So you can tell that the, the pawn shop owner is feeling sympathy for Patty and Patty, you know, he takes the money cause they, he has no other options. Um, and then that's whenever, um, the older lady comes in, um, Mrs. Uh, uh, Layton, I, yeah, what's her, what's the name? Uh, Lamont Tremaine. I keep, I keep wanting to say Lon Chaney because it's pretty much the same thing. Um, Lamont Tremaine's uh, widow comes in with this makeup case and she's trying to sell it because he was this famous actor from all these older movies that the pawn, uh, the pawn shop owner and Patty have never heard of. Um, and it's also, it's like the, it's their wedding anniversary, but he is now gone and she just wants to, to sell the case. And the, the pawn shop guy's like, I don't, I, you know, I don't really know how I can value this. And for whatever reason, it's not quite clear, but hey, it's a TV show with uh, the haunted makeup case. Patty offers the 20 bucks to buy the case, and that's your commercial break. Like, I don't understand, other than he might feel sympathy for her, which I think I kind of get that, but it's not quite clear. Yeah, it's it's strange, but um, he, he feels compelled after her story and that to uh, just pull the trigger and why not like take a, uh, take a chance on it. And it, it's, it, it's interesting enough because it's like, well, after hearing her story, it's like, well, this might be just enough to have a revenge storyline. now. Yeah. Uh, and, and we find out that it, it is enough for <laughs> revenge storyline. So then uh, we come back and this is where, so I'll say that like, when, when I read the description of the episode last week before we you know, watched it, it was about this guy finds a makeup case that he can become like different people and decides to take revenge against his boss, revenge against his boss. I was kind of expecting like, um, cause she refers to her late husband as like the man of a hundred faces. So he has a discount Lon Chaney. Um, I was almost expecting like you'd see Billy Crystal, like put on some makeup, but then when they would cut to whatever it is going on, that it'd be a completely different actor, like, like dark man type of thing. Cause it's like, that's the cheapest thing to do is just cast somebody else. Right. And have them act as Patty. Um, this episode doesn't do that. And I was not expecting what was about to happen. So Terry, I'll let you set this up because this part of the, the this part of the story delighted me because I was like, we're going here with this. It was amazing. Okay. So he gets a makeup kit 
back to his uh, what his apartment hotel whatever the hell it is his accommodations and he puts it down on some surface i think it's his like uh mantle or whatever yeah and he starts making himself a peanut butter and cracker sandwich <laughs> and he's He's about to devour this. Yeah, but do you, do, when, when you put peanut butter on a cracker, do you hold the cracker directly in the palm in your hand and then spread peanut butter on it and then hold it up to your mouth that way to eat it? I don't know what was going on there. That was weird. Yeah, it, it, it was overacting the moment. Uh, I, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you got to really sell this cracker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> and as he's about to dig in, he... Here is the the clasps of the of the case open up, and we see the case just kind of magically open up. And it's like, all right, whatever. And he tries to go back to eating his cracker sandwich, and all of a sudden, the top of the case opens up. It's like, all right, I guess I'm going to put my cracker sandwich down. <laughs> and he, <laughs> Let me wrap this in foil for later. <laughs> Yeah, like Yeah. So he gets he gets up to investigate the case, and one of the first things that he pulls out of there is uh, some kind of makeup that says, uh, "Oh, geez." Uh, it says "Revenge of the it? Colossus" from 1931. It's like this green makeup. Yeah. So one of the things that the the old lady was alluding to was that a. a a lot of these makeups were perfected by the actor. Like he made them themselves. So different movies that that actor had worked on, he used different makeups. So this was for Revenge of the Colossus, the movie that he had worked on. And he starts just kind of applying it to the back of his hand and slowly rubbing in and slowly rubbing it in <laughs> slowly like i this, this was like a really uncomfortable scene because i'm like how long is he going to rub it on the back of his hand i think there was more screen time in this than any of the plot line that was in the previous story <laughs> that's fair uh but as he's doing he's like flexing his fingers and the music's kind of getting a little weird so it's like okay i can kind of see that like something's affecting him right so but it was awkward you're right but then th- like he he ends up walking over to his closet and opening the door and there's a mirror in there and he looks in the mirror and I, I will say this, that as the music's kind of like, you know, it has this distinct kind of like thump to it as it's going. He, uh, I don't know if it's just him doing the fake of slowly rising up on his, like his, um, his tippy toes, like slowly lifting himself up, but he, he looks like he's getting taller and it might be the single cheapest effect I've ever seen anywhere, but it actually kind of works for that split moment that you see him looking in the mirror. Yeah, I was unsure if they were using some kind of effect on the mirror as well. I, the, the, the the video is a little degraded mm-hmm. um, seeing it. So I'm like, is it just the video or something else? But it looked like the his face was augmented in in the mirror. And I, I, I don't know if that was just me seeing it differently because of the degradation of the video or what. But it is somewhat effective 
to to see him doing what he's doing it it just goes back to like stage acting like mm-hmm. you got to make something work so do what you can yeah so then what happens next this is one of my favorite moments i think i've ever seen uh in anything like i've ever covered on the show like isolated by itself it is amazing so we go back to the bar that Roland owns that uh, initially Patty had went to to try to get paid. And it's kind of busy, busy that night. And we see this dude walk in and he's got like this really nice tan leather jacket on and this really big chest. Like he looks, <laughs> I don't know. It looked like a rooster walking into the place. Like it's, <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, like, of course, every chick in the bar is like, oh, who's that? And this dude is trying to be stone faced as possible, walks into the back room and just already like tries to lay it out to Roland. Like you mess with the wrong dude he breaks down the door to Roland's office, but you keep, you, you, you don't describe like who, who is this large person? Like, please, like you haven't get, that's not, the, that's my favorite part of this. Well, he says that it's his brother. Well, no, but like it's Billy it's crystal that- made up to look like, you know, like a discount, um, incredible Hulk. Like they couldn't make him green. So they gave him a green sweater. It is amazing. Well, I, I was kind of saving that one, Paul, oh, but yeah, sorry. yeah, that's, that's sorry. kind of, <laughs> no, that's, it's cool, man. Like I, I was trying to, um, build up to that, but I, that's literally what it is. It's Billy Crystal with a puffed out chest <laughs> who has, who has a fresh shaved face. Like that's literally what it is. And it looks like his face is like super glossy too. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, I credit to him that when he plays Patty, he has a lip and he's like hunched over. So he does look a lot smaller in frame. I don't, I don't, I don't think he's like a six foot two muscle man, of course. Right. It's Billy Crystal. But so the way he changes his posture a little bit, walking with this muscle suit is like, it works, but it's like, I just, Billy Crystal action hero never, never occurred to me, you know? And I was laughing. I laughed so much when I first saw him enter the bar and then goes in to smash the door down. It was like, it's just, it's amazing to me. It's like, that's Billy Crystal playing somebody with muscles. And it looks like him that like, and well, there's, you know, there's some other stuff that happens a little bit later and it's, it's still amazing. Well, yeah. And like when he tries to shake down Roland about the money and everything, it's like, what's your name? It's like, you don't want to know that. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I love it. Like, (laughs) like, yeah, he's, he doesn't really put, he doesn't really pull off the tough guy voice. No. And and he asked him another question. He's like, all right, chill out, dude. Like, Literally. That's what Roland's like. All right. Like you're getting a little too like outrageous right now. And, um, I think that Roland knows that he, he holds most of the cards. So he tries to test this, this badass that just happens to walk into his uh, office and he stands up to him. He's like, you know, I'm I'm basically like you took the money, but I'm kind of letting you take the money. Like, let's have a conversation here. Um, and you don't, you don't want to see what the outcome is if you don't want to have the conversation. That's what he's alluding to. And then all of a sudden, Billy Crystal's character grabs his hand and crushes it. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, let, so, let's just take a step back. He, he before that, he goes over to roll his desk, picks up a phone, like like an old time, like not old time. I mean, it's a rotary phone, but he picks up the receiver and just breaks it in two. And then he's like, neat trick, you know. You just have Billy Crystal breaking a phone in half, and then he takes three hundred dollars, three hundred. Like this is for my brother. This is for the. It's like basically like you know, should have given him the hundred. I'm gonna just take three hundred dollars now after breaking your door punching your dude in the gut. And that's whenever he's like, no, you should work for me. And he, and he, he breaks, basically breaks Brian his hand. And it's like, it, it, all of this is just so ridiculous. It's, it's so much fun. I don't know if it was supposed to be like, like, I don't know if this was supposed to be like fun on purpose, but I had a lot of fun watching it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I glazed over the, like the phone breaking oh, no, thing because I literally laughed out loud. <laughs> I, I was like, get the hell out of here. I was like, Billy Crystal being a badass. Sure. Okay. <laughs> like, why not? Like, I, he's he, he is multifaceted, but I've never seen that facet of his career. So, <laughs> yeah, and never again. Do you see? I mean, surprise, surprise. We never saw him in this kind of role again. Yeah, the closest is we've seen is uh, him being like really tough and angry, and uh, as Mike Wazowski and Monsters Inc. So, yeah. <laughs> That's fair. But we don't get to see his face, so uh, but we see his face as the the Colossus here, apparently, the quote unquote Colossus. Um, and it was just hate to say, it, guys, and uh, maybe somebody dug this a hell of a lot more than I did didn't sell it for me like it's still billy crystal it still looked like the dude to me and that that was and so that's why we said brother it's like okay i kind of get that that's fine uh and then um he leaves and so patty's uh sorry no roland's thugs go like the next day to patty's apartment and try to shake him down no actually i take that back i'm sorry um that's that point where, yeah, they try to shake him down. They want their money back, right? They take 200 100 he was already going to pay his landlord with, so he didn't have it. And they're like, where's your brother at? And he's like, oh, he works at the docks. You can go find him. And so they send him away. And that's when he decides he's going to try to return the makeup case. And he goes to, he finds the address uh, for Mrs. Tremaine. And he goes to her place. And the first thing he does, though, I just want to put he walks into her place and it's like she's not around. The door's open. But he just starts touching all her stuff. You know, that's what you do in a stranger's place. Just touch, just touch all of their things. It's OK. Yeah, I, I don't know what the point of that was. <laughs> I, I <don't>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's when we get the manageress coming in and saying, oh, you just missed her. She passed last night. And um, so then he looks over on the, on the wall and he sees the poster for the revenge of the Colossus. And it's funny because like the guy on the poster looks a lot like him. So it makes you wonder if uh Tremaine just looked like Billy Crystal back in the day. I don't know. But so at that point he um, tries to get rid of the case. And this also comes to another point that I absolutely love that as he got rid of the makeup case, he goes back to his apartment to pack up his stuff. He's going to be going. Um, he opens his suitcase the makeup case is inside it and it tilts itself upward upright. I laughed so hard again when that happened. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So kudos to people to try to make a story work on a budget. This looks so, so bad. Like you can tell that (laughs) the close-ups, the close-ups were working just to their advantage. I mean, like if it wasn't 81, I probably wouldn't give a hand wave. But like, if we saw this today, 
Like, I would be like, dude, you need to, like, scrounge for some couch change because that looks terrible. Yeah, but 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 I loved when he opened the case. He's like, "Oh no!" And then the makeup, the, the he opens up suitcase. The makeup case goes back upright. It was so funny. I loved it. And then uh, that's whenever uh, the makeup case it opens up again, and it offers up another um, piece of uh, makeup for him to put on. And it's called uh, was it uh, Dame Fortune from Thirty Three? And so he starts to apply the makeup, and then um, yeah, we end up catching uh, the the scene shifts to. Um, was it uh, Roland's having a cash money poker game, and a stranger comes in? Um, uh, Tara, let you t- describe the stranger that it comes in for the poker game. <laughs> so, this, this dude is in an all white suit, and he has slicked back hair and an eye patch on, and somewhat of a tan, somewhat, but um, looks very similar to Patty. <laughs> Very, very similar. <laughs> yeah, just, I love it. Like There's the pencil no mustache. It's like, oh, you can't. Well, that's Billy Crystal again. Oh no! <laughs> but I like that. I like the silent treatment that happens here. Like there, there is no dialogue or anything like that. The dude's got the cash. He sits at the table. And it's like, game on, man. Like let's let's uh, let's roll, and. There's like you don't hear any dialogue until the last hand. And so the new guy at the table, um, he is running it. And like you you hear um one of Roland's uh goons go out and get another bottle of scotch or whatever the hell it is, bring it in, and he explains it's like this dude is taking everybody's money right now. And he's like, even Roland? He's like Oh yeah, even Roland. So we go back, we get this last hand, and basically the new guy at the table bluffs Roland into like out of cash. Like he has no money now. And at that moment, um the new guy gets up and he says, All right, it was a pleasure doing business with you guys. I gotta roll, you know, that's a to the basic effect of it. And he's about to hang, he's about to head out. And Roland says, no, I want to see your hand. He's like, you don't want to see my hand. (laughs) Like, it's kind of similar to the dialogue that the, the, the brother of Patty had with him. You don't want to see my hand. (laughs) It's just a kid. Billy Crystal try to take like a, like a different, like a deeper, like registered. It just doesn't work, but it's really funny. It's funny to me. Yeah, I don't. It, it almost sounds like a snake or something. Like it's like very wispy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I just um, so he eventually, you know, they they reveal the hand and he had shit, so he bluffed Roland. But then, so he's about to walk out, relatively like you know, like like scot free, right? Easy, right? A lot of this money, which I might even want to question how he had money to bring to the table. I don't know how makeup works, I guess, but whatever. Um, <laughs> Cause you would think if that stuff's just going to fade away when the makeup washes off or whatever, go get your money, your fake makeup money, go buy your plane ticket and then get on the plane. And then if they count the register later, it's gone. They'll never know. Like that's, that's my thought process, but whatever. Anyway. Um, so 
he he goes back to to Roland and he's like, oh, and I just want to give you this hundred dollars from my friend Patty, you know, because he owes it to you. It's like, don't give away yourself a third time or, or second time, which because Roland's the dumbest man in the world that he can't see Billy Crystal for Billy Crystal each time though. But whatever, um, and that sends them like you know that sends him and his, his goons out to get. Patty one more time. Right. And Patty goes to buy a plane ticket, which I'd also point out if you're going to buy a plane ticket at that point, um, you're not really missing anything at your apartment. That cracker sandwich can just sit there. It's fine. Why not stay at the airport until your flight's ready? Right. And, uh, you have however many thousands of dollars you just gained from Roland, get the, the, the suite that's connected to the hotel or to the airport. Yeah. Like you could, you're a made man now. Yeah, like, you could, uh, and, you know, you could have a shower if you'd like, you know, and have a sandwich. That's actually a sandwich. You, you could afford it now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't understand Patty's logic right now and what kind of heirlooms he's trying to pack at his little slum. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Uh, it, Maybe the the writer in this story could like reach out to us. The four, one of the four, maybe, you yeah. know, Oh no, I'm sorry. There was two in this one. There was four on the other one, but like, what does Patty have to live for at that little piece of shit place that he was like trying to like survive in? Like, just go dude, like just get out of there. You know, people are going to try to kill you, especially after you told them we have a direct connection with the dude that just shake down. Yeah. Um, for all of his money. Yeah. So that, you know, anyway, so that's what we end up getting is, uh, you know, the, the, the thugs are waiting outside for, for Patty to walk out, which again, that never stopped them before, but they go, I like this, the sequence where they're pounding on his door and then he's like, Oh, fire escape. And then there's somebody on the fire escape banging on the glass. It's like, well, I guess you're, I guess you're messed up now. And, uh, he, he grabs his makeup case. Um, and he's trying to, um, you know, well, if I remember right, the, I think the makeup case even like opens for a second. It shows him something before the guys break in and then they, they fight him. He, he, um, is trying to get out to the fire escape. They, they cause him to throw the makeup case out the window and then he fights the guys on the fire escape. And, um, that, that shot's also amazing too, of, of, of the stunt of having Patty fall. I thought that was great. It, that also made me laugh. Yeah, that looked like a three-story uh, jump too. So uh, whoever the stuntman was on that, like kudos to him because he yeah. sold it well. It yeah. is a dude. It's definitely it definitely is like a stuntman. Yeah, no, that's fair. So um, it isn't just Billy Crystal in like a muscle suit just being thrown off the side of a building. But yeah, so so the guys look at, look down and they see him in this uh, dumpster and they're like, oh, they they basically think he's dead. And then when they go down to grab the case, he's gone. Um, yeah. And I'm going to leave this to Terry to talk about the very end here, because again, um, this up the, the, so far it surprised me in a couple different ways. This is another thing that surprised me. And I laughed again when, when we got here. Okay. So they go down to the dumpster to investigate and they see just a bunch of garbage, whatever, and they get closer and I'm just going to refer to it as goon one and goon two, just for reference. So goon one goes a little closer to the end of the alleyway and all of a sudden you hear noises of a like basically combat like you hear somebody getting punched and all of a sudden there's goon one 
getting his ass kicked by something, but you can't see what that something is. And he gets knocked out completely. So Goon 2 comes over and he's like, what's going on here? And he goes a little closer and to investigate what's going on. And he gets his ass kicked. Both of them have gotten their asses whooped and are knocked out. So <laughs> fun. And all of a sudden we pan back to the makeup case. And we the makeup case gets picked up. Of course, not the greatest scene here, but it's picked <laughs> up by something. And then we see a little bit of clothing that is left over by the assumed is Patty. And there's a ticket hanging out of the pocket. The ticket is pulled out again by something. And the both of them are kind of like marionetted past <laughs> the, the, the two goons that are passed out on the ground. And this, the, I'm going to be completely honest this looks like shit (laughs) (laughs) it's it's fun enough because paul and i have partaked in very very terrible films very terrible shows in the past and i think this is forgivable because you know this nothing in this really worked for me but this is fun enough going like ah you know it it makes it it pays homage to a lot of things that happened in the thirties and forties for filming. So I'll forgive it. Yeah. And, uh, (laughs) please go ahead. Finish it out. Tell like what, what's the big reveal here? uh, So we see the goons wake up and they see both of these things being carried away by something. And they're like, nah, we're not going to tell Roland, whatever. And then we pan we as a, as a viewer, we pan over to where the makeup case stuff was, and we see a little case of makeup sitting on the ground that says, uh, "What does it say?" Mis- uh, Mr. Invisible. Invisible. Yeah, nineteen thirty-two. Yeah. So yeah, he had invisible makeup. I was really hoping that you'd see the suitcase and the ticket go around the corner, and then you hear the sound of a car crash because he's invisible. That's what I was kind of hoping that the end of the episode would be like that last, that last little punch to Patty that he's getting away, but he just got hit by a car because he forgot he's invisible. That's what I was hoping for. Yeah, but yeah. We, it was it, it was a very interesting ending, and I, yeah, it, it was it was filmed well, <laughs> well. I don't, I don't want to say great, but well. <laughs> so. I like my laughter for all this is just more like, I can't believe they went there. And some of the images here are just amazing in terms of like seeing Billy crystal and like, like being Hulk crystal. And then, you know, um, I don't know, uh, debonair, like eye patch wearing crystal. It's just, it was so crystal. Yeah. It was so silly. Um, I, I just loved that they straight faced it and so that was funny. Like his performance was okay, but they, I think they asked him to, to do too much for things that he probably couldn't carry, but as Patty, he was fine. Um, and then Denny, he, and this was great just being Denny. He, so not a good story, but I can't tell you that I, I was not expecting to have as much fun as I did with it. And I, I don't think it was intentional fun. Yeah. I, I think that they really try to stretch out the budget here. And 
again, like I've seen things on a shorter budget from the thirties and forties and that, that I, they have done very similar things and I, I can't shit all over this. It, It was a lot of fun to watch it, but there are flaws because it is 1981 and they should have been able to do something better than this. Like again, like what you were alluding to earlier, we could add a, just a different actor come in and play the scene. Like, I mean, there's a lot of struggling actors out there. Like they would have worked for a day and done the scene and it would have been a different person. So I don't know why they chose this effort. Well, it is what it is. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I don't, I don't think I have anything else to say about, uh, about nightmares other than, you know, I, I, I would say that, yeah, I might check out the other episodes. There's only six. So maybe at some point, um, this, this was a fun, a fun excursion. Cause we had, I had no expectations. Terry didn't either. So, you know, I hope that you guys watched the episode. If you didn't, um, you know, I, I, you're missing some funny, like funny moments, but you know, I, it, it is what it is. You know, I, I hate to be like, nah, it's, it's just kind of there, but this was, this was going to be a fun talk and I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. And I do have some wonderful images, um, to post up for during the week that I think are great, uh, reflective of this episode. So yeah, I got nothing else in regards to, to dark room episode four, a quiet funeral and makeup. I don't know if you have anything else, Terry. Uh, real quick aside. Um, the, the actor that they were alluding to for makeup, Lon Chaney, incredible actor, um, legend, um, the man of a thousand faces. Yeah, so. nine nine hundred more than uh, Lamont. That's why I was like, I called him like discount Lon Chaney because they called him the man of one hundred faces. And I, I, that was actually one of the things that made me enjoy this segment of this episode a little bit more. It's like it was an homage almost to Lon Chaney. So it's like, okay, I'll I'll take that at face value because you know Lon Chaney was still him and he he struggled so hard to make himself a different person in every effort that he achieved and he did it really well billy crystal not so much in this episode so i'm sorry billy and i think that's like not really uh against you i think that was the the crew of dark room <laughs> billy crystal the man of a face that we can just call that <laughs> Oh, all right. Yeah, no, this was fun. Like, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I think there's, there's been lesser things that we've seen. Um, and I'm sure there'll be other things that will not come out, come out with as much enjoyment, but I appreciated this talk. I thought it was fun. So yeah, I think it's going to do it for dark room. I think we can, uh, turn off the light and leave J- James Coburn there, um, making awkward commentary about the women that he likes and doesn't like. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think for what we know about Dark Room, I think this, for me, might be the kind of encapsulation of what we talk about, hopefully, because um, there are a lot of good anthology storylines and good good movies and more Twilight Zone that we're going to visit. So, to the future. To the future. 
perfect. All right. So uh, before we talk about what we're doing next, uh, you guys can find us on Facebook at Strange Highways. Uh, you can email us directly at strangehighways at gmail.com. Sorry, strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. If you email Strange Highways, you might talk to Dean Koontz. I don't know. That'd be pretty cool, too. Um, wherever you find our podcast, rate and review us. Uh, Terry has uh, some big announcements. I know you mentioned it last week, but it, it became official on the Facebook. Um, where else can people find us? And also, where else on social media? All right. So for social media, we are on Instagram now. So we are posting goofy pictures and continuing like pictures that from the discussions that we've had in the past. Um, we are bombarding Strange Highways podcast at instagram so it's all one word check that out look for us um we hope to get some likes visit it um you know you might even see pictures of us strange faces i don't know um but we are also on spotify like we are on new levels now so if you are listening to on a uh a media that you have not really dug and you know, it's not working well for you and you want to get rid of an app. Like I have an app just to listen to my, my own voice. Yeah. I'm that indulgent. Um, I'm going to get rid of that app cause I'm on Spotify. I can listen to my own voice and Paul's voice on Spotify. We are on Spotify. Like us, follow us, whatever it is. Yeah. Listen to us. Send us snacks, whatever, whatever you want to do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, also, you know, we're, we're, uh, this is October 1st. We're recording this. So we're getting into, uh, Terry's favorite month of the year. Um, and I'm sure he is dressed all in orange and black right now. I'm sure he's surrounded by candy. So yeah, to make him happy, please leave us more treats than tricks, uh, over the course of this month with comments, likes, shares, all that good stuff. It'd be wonderful to do so. A quick aside. What have you done? for the first amazing day of October, Paul? Um, I worked. Um, I took a nap with both cats on top of me. Um, and I made dinner. And I've, I'm talking to you about uh, a dark room. That's what I've done for my October 1st. Uh, I, I watched the, uh, the first Halloween episode of Roseanne and had a, a spooky tooth from Fathead's Brewery. Uh, I had to have a pumpkin beer today. So, uh, for all my, uh, Halloween freaks out there, happy first day of Halloween. Yes. So, um, continuing on with, uh, the, the, the Halloween goodness, um, we are finally, uh, cause we had, uh, wrapped up season four of the original series, uh, back in the summer, early summer. And then we had our 10 week diversion with season two of the CBS all access, uh, Jordan Peele twilight zone. And then we've had these little detours, uh, we are now back on, you know, on our mission statement of watching the Twilight Zone, the original series, uh, sequentially. So we're going to kick off season five next week. So I have here, it is a promo that was written. I don't know if it was actually ever released because I guess there was some debate about what the first episode of the season was going to be. So certainly wrote a couple of different intros, uh, for the promo for the fifth season. So I'll read you this one. It's a little longer than the usual ones I read. So bear with me. And if I trip up, it's me, not Rod, but here we go. Next week, Twilight Zone begins its fifth season on the air, continuing uh, an itinerary of imaginative storytelling. We'll investigate all the nooks and all the crannies of man's imagination. 
So if you're a science fiction buff or simply someone who likes to pack up reality and shove it under a bed on occasion, I think we're for you. For our first show, we enlist the aid of a fine performer named Jack Klugman and a charming little guy named, Bill, named Billy Moomy and bring you a story that is perhaps one of the most intriguing and one of the gentlest we've ever done in the Twilight Zone. It's called In Praise of Pip. From all of us on the Twilight Zone to all of yours, we're delighted to be back. We hope to please, to entertain, to intrigue. We'll probably leave as many questions as we leave answers, but that is the nature of the Twilight Zone and the thing it talks about. First stop on that strange itinerary in praise of Pip. Man, it feels good to be reading some Sterling again. Yeah, it's it's going to be an exciting uh, like series of episodes here, man. We got some good stuff coming in season five, so hopefully you guys are all strapped in and ready to rock and roll, man, because we're going to get back in the Twilight Zone. Yeah, it's going to be fun, and we're going to see Jack Klugman for the last time. But again, I like Jack Klugman. Um, and yeah, let's, let's just see what happens. So that's going to do it for us this week. Have a, a good week, uh, your first week of October. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, if you're putting makeup on, just be careful because you don't want to put on the wrong movie makeup for the wrong occasion. Um, that's, that's all I got. I, I got nothing else. Uh, uh, wear bronzer. And we'll go to Vegas and get us some action. So we're here, aren't we? Oh, yeah. And I'm stuck for two lousy days in this hotel room. And the only action I get is you playing tug and tussle on the posture pedic. <laughs>